0: Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season really is a year round event. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here as always with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week, the Tribeca Film Festival is still ongoing downtown Manhattan, not very far from our office, in fact. And uh, we've welcomed IndieWire's film editor, Kate Erbland, to give us the rundown of this year's festival with a couple of titles that might just be getting Oscar buzz and uh, a little bit of discussion of what Tribeca is. It's its 15th anniversary, and in some ways, it's still figuring that out. From there, we discuss The Huntsman Winter's War, which is a movie opening this week that will not get any Oscar buzz, I'm willing to predict. Uh, but it does include two Oscar nominees and uh, costumes worthy of maybe every oscar available and uh, we should have a kind of interesting possible fight about that but first i look at the weekend oscar news which finally brought us the can lineup. we've been impa- or richard in particular has been impatiently waiting to uh figure out what the heck's going to be over there yeah um yeah. yeah richard you'll be going for the third time this year mike yeah. you'll be out there as well but uh very briefly it seems yes yeah. so uh richard what are what are we excited about for can
1: well you know i think that you know, I, there's a lot to be excited about. I think, you know, the the thing that people are upset about, understandably, is that there are very few women represented with female directors, which is too it's bad.
0: About the same number as last year. Though. Yeah. It's
1: not a but it's always regression. just it's, it's like three. I mean, out yeah. of, you know, 20 something. It's 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 pretty sad. But that, you know, so if we can put that aside for right now, there is a lot to be excited about in that this year, it seems to be this kind of battle of the auteurs as a phrase I've heard used, because you have these all a ton of can kind of mainstays of the last 20 years, Olivier Assayas, Xavier Dolan, Park Chan-wook, the Dardenne brothers. I mean, it's just this whole kind of lineup of people who've either won the Palme d'Or or come close. And all bringing new films to the table. And then, you know, a bunch of other directors who have done interesting things at Cannes before, like Jeff Nichols and Andrea Arnold... Jeff uh, Nichols,
0: who made this year's Midnight Special, which we talked yeah, about, and has another movie coming out. Yeah, this Loving, is which second is movie, movie fall, which yeah.
1: this year, which is wild. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the lineup, and I and I was trying to sort of distill that into things that I'm most excited about, if I had to pick, like, three titles, mm-hmm. um, just because I don't want to overwhelm people with, you know, movies that they won't see for a long time, yeah. probably. I would say that the top three of interest for me are the Olivier Sayas movie, Personal Shopper. It's his second project with Kristen Stewart. Two years ago at Cannes, they had... Clouds of Sils Maria, mm-hmm. and that ended up winning Kristen Stewart a Cesar Acting Award, which she was the first American woman to ever win that award. Mm-hmm. It was my number two favorite movie of last year. So I'm really curious to see what they do again together.
0: So it's kind of a ghost story, the way That's what I've described. heard. It's a yeah. ghost story.
1: I don't know much beyond it past that. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very curious about American Honey, which is the Andrea Arnold film. It stars Shia LaBeouf. It's a few years ago, Andrea Arnold made this movie called Fish Tank with Michael Fassbender. Um, as a sort of supporting role, that was fantastic and really sort of took can by storm and by and surprise. And
0: right, right before Michael Fassbender really emerged. It yeah. was kind of his uh, last, like, oh, I'm just an indie actor.
1: Right, movie. exactly. And and so I, I really like, that's a really strong film. And this is her first set in the United States, and it's said to be sort of a road movie. So I'm just really, and that's one That's one of the titles that um, I feel like when people started predicting what would be in the can slate this year, that movie has been in, since the very I'm always amazed that so.
0: anyone can predict I, I mean, to be it
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And then I think the third film that I would list, I mean, The Loving is really interesting. There's a, a Paul Verhoeven movie with Isabelle Pair that I'm curious about. But I would have to say, um, just maybe personal bias, um, Xavier Dolan, who's sort of the Wunderkin of Cannes. I mean, this is his sixth time going to the festival, and he's not even thirty. Ugh. And he's this very handsome Québécois. You know, blah blah blah. We're not jealous um, of him at all. No, no, I, I didn't introduce myself to him at a party two years ago, and he was not very nice <laughs> to me. No, that didn't happen. He has a movie coming out called "It's Only the End of the World" with Marion Cotillard and Gaspard Ulliel, and um. Vincent Cassell. It's So it's this very like French, it's like Ocean's Eleven of France because it's all these huge French movie stars mm-hmm. in this one movie that's about a, a sort of estranged son returning home to tell his family that he's dying. So it sounds kind of intense but it's interesting because he sort of snuck this movie in Deland did right before he makes his big in English language star-studded feature that's going to be out I think next year with Jessica Chastain and Kathy Bates mm-hmm. and Susan, Susan Sarandon. So this is kind of not his last, you know, French film, I don't think by any means, but it, 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 it it's one of those kind of like little secret side projects that um, just happened to arrive first
0: and he also directed the Adele video recently like he's he kind did. of the like Hello he's video, yeah. he is like mm-hmm. really like on the cusp of being like yeah. a household name and, for directors
1: and two years ago his film Mommy uh, was my favorite thing at Cannes it's just mm-hmm. a very powerful you know really exquisitely interestingly made movie so so I'd say those are the three that I'm most excited about but there's really a ton this year it's Mary Cotier,
2: that's, if you want to get your film into Cannes that's <laughs> just a smart move right it's it's just, yeah. Sure, that's mm-hmm. big.
1: yeah yeah they They love her, and she's always good for a kind of weird quote about. The moon landing, or something. <laughs> so, how yeah. about
2: George Miller as as the head of the jury? Is that?
1: Uh, I think that's really cool. I yeah. mean, I think that you know, we'll, we'll they haven't revealed who the rest of the jury is, but I know hopefully Charlize the you know, Theron, Tom Hardy, mm-hmm. right? Just like, War Boy know, or just two, war, a couple War yeah. Boys, yeah, right, exactly. Zoe Kravitz, Michael <laughs> you know, Keough, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't you you, you really don't know how that is going to affect things, like what their what the taste level is going to be. You know, I think that. You know the Cohen brothers were on the were the jurors last year, the the head jurors together, yeah. and they ended up awarding the Palme d'Or to uh, this movie D Pan, which is this kind of, you know, gritty French kind of. Th- Crime thriller about a Sri Lankan immigrant, and and it doesn't, it didn't really seem to be in the Coen Brothers' wheelhouse exactly. It's not, it wasn't exactly their style, but something spoke to them. But you know, I I, I heard more interestingly, kind of down the line in terms of when they award best acting prizes, it can that last year, and Zavio Dolan was on the jury as well. That there was some. Conflict there, so that's always yes. interesting to hear about at the end of the festival. I heard there was a walkout threatened by by one it, member. And
2: was it last year that they split an award, or was that Spielberg two years ago? Um,
1: that was uh, yeah. So last year it was the best actress. It was okay. um, Rooney Mara and uh, an actress from a French film whose name I can't remember. see. I love how French yep.
2: it is too that they can just be like, "There's two awards this year." Yeah, yeah. No, they bend <laughs> the rules. Um, we cannot agree. But with George
1: Miller, I would I would hope to see some kind of idiosyncratic you know, weird stuff happen, you know, Mm because he's that kind of guy. Um, And, you know, a a lot of the rest of the jury, I mean, who knows, but, you know, I think he'll, hopefully he'll wield a sort of interesting influence over them.
0: And what it's canned for, if not kind of celebrating people who are going to chase their own weird vision, in making oh, the movie, yeah. which is exactly what George Absolutely. Miller did in making Mad Max. Yeah,
1: it's such an auteur. And and Mad Max opened the festival last year, so yep. or was a special screening, rather, um, in the same way Money Monster is going to be. And uh, yeah.
0: Spielberg's The BFG is going to be there as a special screening, yeah. um, which mm-hmm. is his reunion with Mark Rylance, so, yep. the animated movie. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good mix of you know your very sort of esoteric art house You know, I'm excited to see. uh, You know, there are two Romanian film directors who whose uvers are are really lauded, but I'm not that familiar with. So I'm excited to see that. But I'm also on the complete opposite side, excited to see the BFG. Yeah, oh yeah. So it'll be a fun. They they do a good job of balancing the you know big Hollywood with you know the sort of international cinema that they're known for.
2: So so last year Mad Max kind of came out of can, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then two years ago Foxcatcher came out of can. Carol
0: was out of can last year. Carol was
2: out of can last year. So the BFG is a likely animated nominee i don't i am not sure if it's
0: fully animated or not i know mike rylance's character is animated but i can't remember if the whole movie is animated
1: i think yeah i think i think it's not would it help would it help would it help
0: sorry um despise references really (laughs) keep going
1: i mean it could be and i think that you know obviously rylance who plays the bfg has um you know the Oscar weight behind him right now, and yeah. and his collaboration with Spielberg continues apace with this, and you know it's a big platform for that movie certainly, and it's respectable. Yeah, do you know? I mean, they, they did last year. The special screenings were Mad Max and Inside Out, which people loved. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, yeah. you know, top ten of the year, but lo- also
0: like Kung Fu Panda Two, maybe the first Kung Fu Panda. Right, so were it, there, you know, so. And,
1: and the Expendables Three, I believe, a few years ago. So it's it it varies, but you know, I think that if just based on last year, I think that we should expect big things from the BFG.
0: And also for those of us staying home, uh, even if we don't get to see these movies for a while, uh, the canned red carpet is always incredible. And yep. there will be lots of photos on VanityFair.com of yep. the insane things that like various Russian TV personalities are wearing on the red carpet.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> last year, oh, la- last week rather, I was I was sort of cynically saying that, you know, just really fingers crossed that there were a lot of big name movie stars who were going to be at the thing because that really helps us in terms of photos. And, and hey, it, it panned out. There's people a lot wear, of people. Yeah, yeah, People
0: wear amazing things in can So uh-huh. it's, a, it's a fun game to watch from home by
1: the way yeah. just
2: gonna throw this out there there's a Woody Allen Cafe Society out of yeah. competition yeah. Yeah. just just thinking awards wise yeah. you know sometimes the competition ones are very sort yeah. of Euro yeah, yeah, yeah. or arty but also the nice guys like is there any chance the nice guys I could see that being a screenplay legs? thing yeah, yeah, yeah I could
1: see that I mean people like Shane Black um, he has a good narrative of kind of burning out after some success in the late 80s early 90s and then returning with kiss kiss bang bang and then Mm -hmm. doing iron Iron man 3 and and so he's now he's kind of returning to a smaller scale but sort of very like you know sort of a tourist uh take on uh, on a kind of buddy cop movie so yeah i mean i think you're right mike i think that that has potential definitely and, and shouldn't be ignored and i think you know they chose it to be there because its release date is somewhat soon after but also i mean they chose it to be there for you know, other reasons that have yet to be seen. Uh, Ryan
0: Gosling uh, wearing linen on the... I was going to say,
2: I (laughs) I I can think of one reason Yeah, having Ryan Gosling at the festival.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah, and I think you're right. I think, you know, Shane Black is someone that we should not count out yet.
0: No, don't count on anyone. It's, no, it's I'm early. not. Really briefly elsewhere, uh, there was the first trailer for The Birth of a Nation, which is the movie that we talked about coming out of Sundance, directed by Nate Parker, about Nat Turner's slave revolt. Richard, you've seen it. Mike, you and I hadn't. So did yeah. uh, did seeing this trailer teach you anything, did you think, about uh, what we should expect from this movie?
2: One interesting thing is that Nat Turner, played by Nate Parker, who also directed the film, starts out as this preacher who's kind of complicit in the whole structure of, of oppression and slavery, and then ends up leading this rebellion. I mean, I just was thinking about it just every single time there's, you know, a, a really good film or book about this type of, you know, this period of history. I'm reminded of, you know, being in high school and first really reading all of the details of it. You sort of had knew that something horrible had happened. But when you get down to the details of it, it's just horrifying. I think there's something in our human nature that makes you want to pretend it didn't happen periodically, or forget, forget about that it. it. That, yeah. That it was as bad as it was and you know the other thing that always that makes me sad even just watching the trailer is like there's no happy ending there's a, no. a long term happy ending you know kind of for <sighs> our society but like in this story presumably yeah that Turner was hanged ugly. for his yeah. efforts of this. slavery role. <laughs> that's,
0: not, that's history it's yeah. not a spoiler right 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 uh, but I, I did think it was like you know evocative like the there's a, the tone of the trailer is really interesting it uses Nina Simone's strange fruit which is mm-hmm. you know used often when talking about slavery and you know there's like a shot of like a white girl kind of leading a black girl on a leash which is just like really uh, you know it just kind of grabs you in a way like that one image of dehumanization mm-hmm. and yeah i mean it, 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 i kind of thought of the comparisons to braveheart it like doesn't have the epic battle scenes like that i think come up later in the film but the idea of it being very personal and very vivid and you know having the director kind of very as the star kind of uh being very prominent in it i don't know yeah. I, I like the trailer
1: it's a really well-cut trailer and i won't say what exactly it is about it but the trailer does unfortunately spoil i think the the most effective artistic thing in the scene in the movie in a way. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is. But so I was like, I was like, I understand why they showed it or whatever, but I I was a little surprised that they did. Yeah, that's
0: trailer logic for you.
2: To me, it seems like, you know, it's a good next movie in a way about this topic, next big film, awardsy film after 12 Years a Slave, which mm-hmm. was so arty and so kind of restrained. And here you got a little bit more venturing into a populist territory, but still unflinchingly showing this just absolutely shameful, terrifying yeah. episode.
0: No, it's uh, it doesn't come out till October, so we have so long to keep talking about yeah. this movie. Is like, oh, what's that going to be like? Mm-hmm. But uh, the trailer was kind of an interesting salvo. And it was, you know, it coming at this point in the year when it, you're just about to gear up for summer movies, it's like, oh, but wait, just a couple months away, we've got this kind of stuff coming. So yeah. don't give up hope just yet with all the uh, Batman v. Supermans of the world.
1: Black bodies... Winging in the southern breeze.
2: Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees.
0: So now we'd like to welcome Kate Erbland, who is the film editor for IndieWire, and uh, she and her colleagues have been tirelessly covering the Tribeca Film Festival, as they do every year. But Kate, this is your first year with IndieWire at Tribeca. Are you you dead yet? How exhausted are you at this point?
3: I have no concept of time anymore. This year just (laughs) seems like it's been particularly busy, but I think that's for everyone. Everyone um, at Andy wire. Everyone everyone I've talked to. I've talked to publicists. I've talked to writers. Everyone's run around like a crazy person. But that's the festival.
0: Yeah. So we always, as New Yorkers, we always have kind of a tricky time covering Tribeca because it's like you could go to a movie or you could go home and feed your cat. And let's, <laughs> and I, I think you literally have tweeted about feeling bad about leaving your cats at home yes. while uh, going Note to that.
3: movies. If I have a chance to go home and be with my cats, I think I'm going to do that. I mean, that's why it's easier. Like if you go to Sundance, you go to Toronto, you're just there. Yeah. And here you're actually also at home and regular work too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's a little tricky. So, what is what is Tribeca kind of offering? That I mean, it's it's a lot of these movies don't have distributors and may you know emerge on you know obscure VOD platform if not at all. But like, what's it offering that you guys are bringing to your readers? Like, what are people interested in learning about Tribeca from what you guys have been covering?
3: Well, one of the things that Tribeca is really interested in is female filmmakers, and they kind of always have been. This year, about a third of their slate is directed by female filmmakers, and they're really like, which is an, an insane percentage. It's an insane percentage. So that's a really great part of the slate, and then also Also, second features from emerging directors, two of my favorite films at the festival, are second features from filmmakers who have already been on the festival circuit and are sort of, like, more hitting their stride now. Which are? Mike Rubiglia's movie, Don't Think Twice, and Sofia Tikal's movie, Always Shine.
0: Yeah, Mike Robiglia had um, Sleepwalk with me, like, four years ago. Which was at at Sundance. Sundance. Yeah, and he's a comedian. He's a stand-up comedian. He's been on, like, This American Life and stuff, so people know who he is. Um, So, I mean, these like when you're writing about these movies or, like, covering them, like, are people like, why do I want to hear about this if I can't see this until... Because we've had this problem, like, with Sundance, with Toronto, like, everything. These movies don't emerge for a while and Tribeca sometimes has even smaller movies. Like, do you hear that or is the IndieWire audience, like, plugged in enough to...
3: I mean, I think it's sort of 50-50. I think that our audience is looking for really independent films and films that have not been distributed yet. But it's always really important to find, like, a little in and an angle that anyone can. Appreciate mm-hmm. like I talked to a uh, Robert Schwartzman of the Schwartzman Coppolas, who uh-huh. directed a movie here called Dreamland, and we had a really great conversation. But my whole thing was this is a guy who's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, whose movie is not influenced by The Godfather. He's influenced by 80s sex comedies. So we had a really fun conversation about like Lover Boy and Risky Business, and he's just like, yeah, my family's great, we're creators, but let's talk about Lover Boy. <laughs> so there's always something like that that you can find.
1: And Tribeca is also really big with documentaries, right? I mean, is there anything in particular in in that realm that is standing out for you?
3: Well, the one documentary that I have not seen that everyone's talking about is All This Panic, which is directed by a female filmmaker. Which I actually managed to see, one of like three Tribeca movies. Yeah, that's the one that everyone seems to be talking about, and I really need to make some time for that one.
1: And what's that about?
3: It's about uh, a group of teenagers growing up in Brooklyn, and the filmmaker followed them for about two years. She was their across-the-street neighbor. So I guess they're, my understanding is they're really smart kids. I think they
0: they all go to like art school, mm-hmm. and but it's following them as they're growing up. And it's filmed in this really beautiful way. It's this husband and wife filming, filmmaking team. She's the director and he's the cinematographer. And they're photographers when they're not making movies. And it's just gorgeous. Like all the, you know, like close-ups and shallow focus and like use of light. And like, you know, some they'll be walking like on the beach in Coney Island, like a little more than you probably imagine the average Brooklyn teenager does, but it makes for very beautiful scenery. Right. Um, but it's very evocative, like makes you feel these like teenage girl emotions, like almost in a way that a narrative film was, which makes it really interesting. But I don't know if it has a distributor yet, which is the... Uh, ongoing problem of talking about film festivals
2: well and you know we talk about the the narratives that can come out of toronto for us for this group talking about awards yeah. toronto's easy because it is all about like the beginning of oscar season and then sundance is kind of at least you say all right who's going to get a big you know deal who's going to get picked up for a lot of money and can any of these pull off like a little miss sunshine piece of the southern wild mm-hmm. thing of at least making it to the finish line is there anything at Tribeca that could make it to the finish line, even in documentaries where I think people do think that that tends to be the strongest part of the festival?
0: I mean, not that I've seen yet. I haven't seen everything. Well, the one thing that I is a kind of a weird contender is the uh, the O.J. Simpson miniseries that's going to be on ESPN and actually is going to have an Oscar qualifying run, which seems complicated because it's like a ten hour miniseries. But they're going to put it in theaters; it's going to work. And uh, I've been hearing about this since Sunday. Kate, you've actually managed to see the whole thing. I've so. managed to see the whole thing. It's incredible. It's like you know, it's almost ten hours.
3: Uh, it's sort of loosely divided up into episodes, but it immediately just gets you so plunged into O.J. Simpson's life. And I'm someone who loved the FX show, too, and I sort of watched them at the same time. And they pair together really amazingly. You're not you gonna, weren't over-OJ'd? Yeah, I was not over How does it
2: compare to the structure of the, of the FX show?
3: Well, it's very similar. Well, because it starts actually right when he's going into college. So you get to know early O.J., and you see... How the forces that sort of shaped his life before he became very famous, but sort of right before he became very famous. And then it actually continues all the way through until the present day. So the stuff in the trial is pretty much right in the middle. Right. Um, so it's like if you're not sure what OJ's been up to lately
2: <laughs> it goes into the Vegas trial and Vegas all that trial,
3: the Vegas burglary which is very complicated and confusing and they even yeah. say like this is the clearest way we can break down this very <laughs> weird thing that OJ did
2: he went to go steal back his own memorabilia from somebody well he I mean, he's convicted it of it name. yes yeah. Right? Yeah. but yeah. he
3: there was other memorabilia there and he's like just take this memorabilia too it was like Joe Montana uh-huh. stuff and he's uh-huh. like mine now um, yeah with like a group of friends who maybe had a gun, or at least said right. they had guns. Oh boy! Did
2: anyone get into this idea that he might have that concussion disease? Because the guy that Will Smith, I'm bringing this back to Oscars.
3: Yeah. The guy
2: that Will Smith played in Concussion said he would bet his medical license that OJ had that CTE. Concussion, CTE. Yeah.
3: I don't think they didn't do. come up ten hours. They never mentioned that. <laughs> okay, know, just checking. Yeah, I know that that's like something that people have been talking about. So I can't remember if that's something that's in the doc or if I'm just like randomly remembering that.
2: We have to ask Mike Ryan who saw it
1: three times. He'll yes, know. we can
0: ask Mike Ryan. We'll
1: tell you <laughs> if it's. It'll be in the sequel. They're doing another ten hours. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, clearly
0: OJ Simpson is the most fascinating American figure. Needs
1: uh, evidently, I just like
2: imagining these Oscar voters. Like just getting a stack of screeners and sitting in their homes, their Neutra homes, trying to watch ten hours of of an OJ well, documentary. They might.
1: Maybe the strategy is if if they get the screen that screener first, they'll watch ten hours of this documentary, so they'll be so documentary. <laughs> they won't watch, that they won't watch the other nominees, and that'll just. Like, I've it.
0: learned enough yeah. this
1: year. Yeah, I'm done.
0: So Richard, you've seen a bunch of Tribeca stuff. Anything on your radar? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple interesting movies. Uh, one was Wolves, uh, which is directed by Bart Freundlich, who is unfortunately better known as Julianne Moore's husband. Um, yeah. But he's been a filmmaker f- for, since the 90s. That's how they actually met on, on one of his first films, I would think. And it's a movie about a, a kid in New York City who is a kind of star basketball player. He goes to St. Anthony's, a kind of made-up prep school. His name is Anthony. They call him St. Anthony. He's sort of the savior of this team. But he has a father at home, played by Michael Shannon, who is a compulsive gambler, and so these two kind of tensions mount, you know, bet- on the on the basketball court and then at home. And it's a really, I mean, it's a beautifully filmed drama. The kid who did a few episodes of that show, American Crime, in a sort of supporting role this past season. He's great. Michael Shannon, as always, is, is really good. Does and Michael
0: Shannon have like eight movies coming out this year? Yeah,
1: he just doesn't and sleep. And he's on Broadway in Long Day's Journey. God, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. sleep, I don't think. Jeez. You know,
2: uh, it would be creepy enough to have Michael Shannon as your dad, but for him to also be a compulsive gambler <laughs> yeah. who really screw you who up. Who
1: drinks a lot and, yeah. and the film makes a really compelling creepy you know sort of point of showing that like he the father is jealous of the son and sort of subtly Mm -hmm. sabotages him it's an interesting movie i think that it turns toward the end into sort of a surprisingly straightforward uplifting sports drama which isn't exactly my you know my wheelhouse uh, is it like win-win
2: Ask or... it's not
1: it's more dramatic than that okay. win-win which is that great um tom mccarthy movie is, is sort of that's a, that's a little more low to the ground um this right. has soaring music and okay. big cheers at the end um there are a couple problems there's a sort of magical black character who sort of gives Ooh, wise boy. counsel to the boy problematic yeah that's a little bit like Ugh, but we need, like a problematic like <laughs> uh, sound yeah. effect yeah here. <laughs> yeah, tr- yeah yeah we have um, so
0: endless opportunities for it yeah. <laughs>
1: And I don't know if it technically... Can, I mean, it's at Tribeca, but it's also out this week. I saw Elvis first, Nixon. So. <laughs> the Dawn
3: of Justice. Uh, <laughs> Justice. Elvis and Nixon. Uh,
1: and, you know, I, I think a lot of people... Another Michael Shannon film. I'm, I've i only seen Michael Shannon movies these days. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, a, um, That's easy to do. Yeah, yeah Loving will be at
0: Cannes in a few weeks. You really have yeah, plenty no, to do. Yeah, no, exactly.
1: And I really liked it. I mean, I think that people are sort of ragging on that movie for, uh, for being kind of shallow because it's about this famous photograph of Elvis in the in the Oval Office with Nixon and obviously, there is a big story to be told, and especially given what that administration was like and who worked for that administration, and uh, and this movie gives them a very soft pedal. I mean, you know, the the these two sort of aides to Nixon who. Um, you find out in title cards at the end of the movie both went to prison for Watergate are played by Colin Hanks and Evan Peters from American Horror Story who everyone loves and they're really cute and charming and and Kevin Spacey as Nixon is like kind of like avuncular and sort of goofy and it's like this nice little light movie.
2: Is there stuff about drugs and guns and things?
1: Well so basically there's a lot of stuff about guns because Elvis loves his guns Didn't Elvis bring a gun to the White House and they let him bring his
2: gigantic gun? Several guns and a gift gun
1: in a glass case for Nixon Right. but yeah I mean you know Elvis is ostensibly there to become an uh, undercover agent to expose drug use you know drug at a time dread. when he was wasted on drugs or, 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 yeah I mean the, and the movie not in of, there no really no. <laughs> just um, checking <laughs> anyway so I like that you know that was a nice movie um, and that's
0: out in theaters this Friday yeah you know, I think on VA or it's an Amazon release so it's, yeah. it should be widely available at yeah. some
1: point so I have seen some good Tribeca stuff and I feel like this year um, I don't know if you agree Kate more than others seems a little bit more stacked in the narrative category than than it has been like I mean I, maybe I'm just looking at that cheaply in terms of celebrity names involved or whatever but do you feel any difference about Tribeca this year in particular in that way or
3: well I mean Tribeca has always had good star well not good star vehicles but star vehicles mm-hmm. I think this year the quality is a little bit higher I feel like I haven't seen anything that I've been like oh my god who made this movie everything has been pretty good and solid Another movie that's at Tribeca that's also out this week that I know Richard and I both really like a lot is The Meddler, which was also at Toronto, which Mm -hmm. is just, it's not what I think people think it is. Like Susan Sarandon plays a meddling mom, but it's really charming and it's like definitely, she's the lead role. This is not something where it's like a two-hander with her and rose Byrne. rose Byrne's amazing in it but it's susan sarandon's movie So this isn't
0: the guilt trip the sequel no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't
0: think we needed that no no one asked for that <laughs> yeah so that's another really good one that i think might surprise some people later
1: i agree i would urge everyone to go see that
0: yeah um, i uh yeah. Y- you've been uh talking to the cast of the meddler like all week at various events yep so. uh,
1: yep um, well after this goes up but i will have hosted a Q&A at the Apple store in Soho. And
0: an interview that you did with them will be on VF.com at some point this week. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So. so my operating theory about Tribeca this year, and Kate, you've been going to a lot of this stuff, so maybe you can bear me out, is that I feel like the events and the talks and the panels and what they're able to get from people is almost eclipsing the films at this point. It's obviously still a film festival, but like, I went to an event yesterday where it was J.J. Abrams talking to Chris Rock, there's Jodie Foster's doing a panel, Tina is doing a panel. They're able to get in these people who don't necessarily have a film that they want to have in the festival. Like, Jodie Foster's doing a talk, her film Money is going to It's going to Tribeca, but she's here to do a talk. Is that, I mean, is Tribeca leaning more into that or am I just more interested in it?
3: No, I mean, I think over the past couple of years, their talks have been especially like fantastic. Like, you know, JJ Abrams doesn't have anything to promote here, but he's here and he had a fantastic talk with Chris Rock. Yeah,
0: they just liked talking to each other.
3: Well, and the, like, you know.
2: the problem for Tribeca is, among other things, it's the timing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, if you didn't get into Sundance and you know you're not you have no chance of getting into Cannes, you mm-hmm. submit to Tribeca. Yeah. And so they can do a lot of stuff because they're in New York, they have Robert De Niro and you know, able to presumably make three phone calls a year or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> they have a lot of smart people involved. But they just, they just have a really hard problem of getting good films. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, the, you, and anytime you see a film with a big star in it, like odds are, it definitely tried to go to Sundance and couldn't make it in there, or South by for that matter. And you know, we, we'll get hold over some other festivals, like from South by or like the Medler coming from Toronto. But yeah, like original films from unless they're very small, like always shine. The to call movie that Kate and I both saw, which is very low key under the radar, like it could you could definitely have seen it at Sundance, but it, yeah. it has a good home at Tribeca too. But then you look at a whole list of movies made by people you've never heard of, starring people you've never heard of, and it's like, well, how am I gonna choose? how to yeah. see this. But
2: I think that, you know, because uh, to me, frankly, I do think Tribeca needs to continue the soul searching and figure out why it exists. And uh, But I think what you said about female filmmakers... It would be a great thing yeah. for I mean, them to just lean yeah. into, to borrow a phrase. Yeah,
3: and I think that they're really leaning into it, and I think they're continuing to do so. And I think that's something that could really, you know, there's a lot of sort of female directed film festivals, but to have like a large scale film festival that really digs into this as like yeah. an added bonus, I yeah. think yeah. is something that they could do. A fantastic I think it's job. a better
2: strategy than leaning into
1: the vaxer thing personally. <laughs>
0: Did you see, you didn't yeah. see Vax, did I, I you? did I did not see Vax. Yeah, that was... I, I kind
1: think. of was, I mean, you almost kind of more in the controversy, like, because they pulled the movie before, <laughs> know. you know, and it was, I was like, just go with it, man. Yeah. Just, like, have it be crazy. Yeah, this was a a,
0: a a documentary made by the guy who published the paper that said that linked vaccines to autism. Who's been,
1: like, discredited and yeah. like, can't, can't practice medicine in Great yeah. Britain anymore. Like,
0: yeah. And it was programmed <laughs> for, like, a one screening and a conversation, and Robert De Niro kind of came out saying, like, I just want everyone to know what all the co- possible causes of autism are, and people... Right. Went crazy, rightly I think. I think that movie yeah. has no place in a film festival. Um, but they pulled it. But no, you're right. They should have really just like the protest well, would have been so amazing. much press know for
1: the festival in, you know, and people were mad. I guess so. It wasn't ne- necessarily positive press, but you know, all PR is You know, so yeah. it just I don't know. I I was kind of like just screen it the one time and you know,
3: <laughs> well, the movie came out like it's yeah. At yeah. Angelica right now, mm-hmm. and supposedly it's going to have like a national release. Wow. So I think it's pretty good for Vax. Maybe not so great for Tribeca. Great oh, for good. Vax. Yeah, God, I, <laughs> box office suites are just
0: uh, flourishing. Um, on, on the female filmmaker thing that you were talking about, Mike, also like even in the television programming they're doing, they're leaning into that. Like they had a Broad City panel over the weekend. Kate's going to this event where Samantha Bee is going to be a keynote speaker. Um, and, you know, she's not promoting a movie like we were saying, but she's there as, to participate in it. So it's definitely like that's a really good niche for it. Like the they're doing a lot of virtual reality stuff that's really interesting. There's a lot. I mean, it's such a huge festival. Yeah, There's I want to so go to that products. virtual do, reality too. room. I want to see Oculus Rift. At some it's like, like right wheel. across the street I know, from us. Isn't it? it's Let's so just go. our we'll us carve time. Just barge in and say, flash our yeah. badges and say, show us your virtual reality. <laughs> Bring us your Oculus. Yeah. Uh, so there's all these different prongs of it. So I mean, are we kind of missing the boat by just talking about narrative films that might get Oscar buzz?
3: Well, I mean, I know even Robert De Niro's like sort of said, you know, it's still a film festival. Like mm-hmm. this is a film festival, and I think that. As stuff like virtual reality becomes more prevalent like even at sundance sundance has always really leaned into virtual reality with new frontiers they kind of have to do it and i think they're doing a pretty good job with it they seem to really enjoy the virtual reality stuff even the closing night film isn't really a film it's like more multimedia experience mm-hmm. but i think that 15 years in like they really are still trying to figure out who they are yeah we still saying we're a film festival yeah
2: i'll tell you another thing to not totally overlook is andrew essex who's a very nice smart guy who uh is the new head of tribeca is a branded content guy he's an old magazine guy who then started or i guess was a head of a company called droga five and i i believe i think that andrew sees a like branded content future for tribeca Mm. if you can imagine you know so getting all kinds of Cool creators involved, even if they don't have a film but they come do a talk or they make a virtual reality thing or whatever, serves this larger purpose of like can can this have even like a profitable life as a branded content studio?
0: Yeah, I mean, 15 years is young for a film festival in some ways. Like Sundance was around for, I think, almost that long before Sex, Lies, and Videotape really gave it an identity. So the the future is still, you know, big for Tribeca. And it's got, it's releasing films under its banner. It's got year-round programming. There's a lot going on Tribeca-wise beyond just this one film festival. And
1: cynically speaking, I mean... You know, you just if you go to any of the film, the screenings that aren't PIs, press and industry screenings, you know, that have commercials before the the, sc- the movie stars, like, and you go to the lounges or whatever. I mean, they have a lot of in, you know brands interested in being a part of the festival, yeah. which mm-hmm. is like good for their b- bottom line, obviously. So right. clearly, there is a sort of uh, an interest from from filmmakers, from uh, you know people just coming for talks, from brands, whatever. Like, they obviously have all the material there. It just you know just shaping it into it. Just seems whatever. like
2: it needs a like a s- headline of what yeah. why is this here you yeah. know yeah. i think like south by southwest just recently sort of figured that out and well yeah they're, try and back they're kind of doing yeah. the
0: tech angle of it at south by which is uh you know it's a uh, it, adjacent to the film in some way but that's like what's made south by famous
2: well and also like the midnight movies no? yeah the midnight movies right? too yeah yeah
0: well, all, and the other thing about going to screenings, Richard, is like they're crowded. Like people come to these movies. Like it's not sure. just us like jaded people with our press <laughs> badges. Like if you live in New York City and you want to like you get a crash course in like indie filmmakers, like it's a pretty accessible way to do it.
1: And not to pit them against each other. I don't know if you agree with this, Kate, but like I've noticed that. The audiences at the Tribeca Film Festival seem to be a little bit more diverse, a little younger in some cases, than the audience, say, at the New York Film Festival, which sort of – up at Lincoln Center, which seems to trend very – a particular Upper West Side demographic. Yeah, people who live
3: yeah.
0: within 10 blocks yeah. of Lincoln well, Center. Yeah.
3: I think with New York Film Festival, you get a lot of film society types who, you know, spend a lot of their time up there at Lincoln Center anyway with films. Yeah, I mean – I've been to a bunch of public screenings. I haven't been to, I've been to one press and industry screening and they've been filled with people and it's been a really wide range of Mm -hmm. demographics. And I'm also like, I go to a lot of regional festivals too. And usually those are, older skewing audiences uh, who don't really know what they're getting into and I don't get that feeling at Tribeca at all like yeah. I feel like people are here they're excited they have at least some sense of what they're about to see which you don't always get at festivals
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have any regional festivals coming up is there anything we should be aware of
3: um, I'm actually going to be on a jury for the Nantucket Film Festival which Ooh. is at the end of June I've oh, heard that that's sounds like nice one. one. Yeah, yeah they do a lot of like comedy panels there and yeah. stuff they actually just released their film program yesterday which is like has got a bunch of good stuff all this panic is there mm. so if I I don't see all this panic here. I'm going to see it in Nantucket. So that should so be you, a pretty good So you're
1: going to be in Nantucket at the end of June yes. for a week? Yeah. Well, oh, for like that four That sounds days. awful. Still, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I, I pity you. really rough.
2: <laughs> Does, are you obliged to not see all this panic so that you can watch it fresh with the other jurors? Or is it is it in competition?
3: My, I'm actually on a jury for, they have a writer's lab for episodic television. Oh, cool. So I'm actually reading scripts and then approving oh. scripts to go to this writer's colony. So then I get to go to the festival and kind of hang out and my work is pretty much done. Wow. That's, that's amazing. amazing. I know. Yeah. You're it's gonna a,
0: eat really, really well yeah, for like win four win days. Win.
1: Yeah. So if you want to know how to get to that point in your career, email Kate <laughs> and she'll tell you. Yeah.
0: About. <laughs> um well Kate, thank you for giving us the lowdown on Tribeca. If uh, if anything comes up that you love, uh, people can follow you on Twitter at Kate Herbland, But yes. with only one E between.
3: With only one E between. Caterbland. Catterbland.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> and uh, or check anywire.com yes, where all course. the Tribeca coverage is. So I think it was my bright idea for all of us to see uh, The Huntsman Winter's War because I've been so intrigued by it just because it's got uh, Charlize Theron and Jessica Chastain in it, uh, who have been Oscar nominees, plus Emily Blunt and uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth reprising his role from Snow White in The Huntsman, to which this movie is both a prequel and a sequel, which I did not know when I went in to see it. One of the many surprises that awaited us in The Huntsman Winter's War. Um, Mike, after we saw this movie, I apologize to you for making you see this. (laughs)
2: And then and and then I read Richard's review where I just felt terrible because I was one of the people uh, scoff laughing, although I yeah. did it very quietly, yeah. unlike Matt Patch's uh, previous <laughs> guest who was very loudly scoff laughing right next. There to There was me. a lot
0: of loud scoff. Laughing I will now. say, yeah. in
2: defense of the scoff laughers, which yeah. Richard singled out as the most unpleasant sound in in <laughs> mankind, you do have to kind of find a way to enjoy your two hours. You know what I mean? Like yeah. got like you you're a human sitting through something, but it wasn't the worst thing. Richard
1: liked yeah, it. No, I mean I, I think that what what I was maybe inexactly taking to task was and it was not the laughter at the movie it's it's more there were there are certain strains of that laughter and it really happens a lot during critic screenings that are very like telegraphing they're like uh, I mean, I get it, silly. Do you, I mean, you guys know that, that I think it's stupid, and it's, it's very like drawing attention <laughs> to yourself in this way. Than that, and I, I only heard a few of those actual those particular laughs during during um, all of them. Winters were right yeah. between. Katie. <laughs> no. um. So, th-
0: so this movie is advertised as basically clash of the titans between Charlie seren and Emily Blunt as mm-hmm. these like yeah. beautiful queens who have these mystical powers. It's a lot less of that than I think it's being advertised as, which is one of the things that let me down about it. Uh, but yeah. Richard, it seemed like for you there was enough of that mm-hmm. that it uh, yeah. that it worked. For you
1: yeah i mean i think that the, i think the strengths of the movie are one that there is a pretty good gender balance on hand i mean you know we have Chast- jessica chastain charlie Theron, emily blunt a couple other actresses playing dwarves very very charmingly compared to you know three male leads so that's that's yep. that's a good you know that's a nice change um I, so i like that aspect and i like in particular you know in their limited scenes together theron and and blunt just really just Tearing, you know, tearing things down. I mean, they're just like, they're just chewing oh scenery left it's and right, not and masticating.
0: Even like, yeah, it's uh, a beyond it's scenery fun chewing. to
1: watch. You know, because a lot of these kind of big overwrought special effects, fantasy, whatever, adventure, action movies. That when it gets to these kind of climactic showdowns, it, it's between men, or at most one woman and, and a man. You know, mm-hmm. and and here it's not exactly. It's um, and I think that like that's kind of fun, and I am you know maybe partial toward emily blunt and, and charlie saran as actors they're you know two people i will kind of always go see in in things and so it's it's fun to watch them kind of tear around and then there's jessica chastain doing all kinds of crazy action stuff and um, a
0: crazy accent on top
1: of oh that. she's doing a wild weird <laughs> john snow meets i don't know what well, accent okay we yeah. gotta
2: pause for yeah. a quick second I, in principle i agree with you i'm, yeah. I'm yeah. i like the fact that it's basically a female driven action movie yeah. it's an action movie for women or girls it is, there are so many things that they rip off from Game of Thrones. What's oh, yeah. up with oh, that? Yeah. Like it's basically yeah.
0: – yeah. yeah. It's
2: basically Jon Snow and uh, – Cersei. Well, and Cersei and uh, Rose Leslie.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's Jessica Chastain. Jessica the, Chastain. I mean
2: literally same hair color. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the yeah. warging thing – like, did you think about that? Charlize oh, Theron become... oh, yeah, she sees through in... the eyes of a bird. Or, or, That's a Game or. of Thrones thing. Yeah. All the stuff about the north and like... There's a lot
0: of the several ice walls that there are built. are ice built for... <laughs> walls.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It just felt yeah. like somebody was like watching or, or either watching Game of Thrones being like, I could do this, or more likely, some studio person was like, make it like Game of Thrones. Yeah,
0: make come right. back
2: when it's more like
0: Game, Game of Thrones. Give Game of
2: Thrones.
1: Winter's huge now. Winter. <laughs> People <laughs>
2: love winter. We
1: gotta do winter. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Game yeah. of yeah. Thrones yeah. plus
0: Frozen. Like, you can't, like, yeah. ice. Everybody wants ice. Yeah,
1: I mean, and her, um, Emily Blunt is is hairstyled and costumed to look almost exactly like Elsa in yeah, Frozen. Yeah, it's
0: wild. Also,
2: huh. another occasion for the problematic sound effect. Yeah. Rob Brydon, amazing comedian from the trip as a dwarf. I found that... Was that weird? Is that problematic? Well, the first movie had no, I, all
0: seven dwarves. Most of them played by famous actors. Okay, see, like, uh, Nick Frost was returning from the first movie. Uh, uh, Bob Hoskins was in there. Ian McShane was a dwarf. Yeah. I okay, mean, it's basically what they did no, in think, uh, <laughs> The Hobbit.
2: I think
1: it's still... Uh, I mean, true. I think... but I There think are... Hobbit, dwarves exist.
2: But, yes, but I guess it's Snow White is kind of grandfathered in. Like, this, they've been ridiculing dwarves for
1: years, for centuries.
0: It's tricky. But the current...
1: I mean I don't I haven't seen the cartoon the Disney cartoon in ages like does the cartoon make fun of how they look all the time i mean that's the thing that's that's a very glaring bad thing in 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 these two huntsman movies is I like mean,
2: literally there's like, like, have a, you ever seen a female dwarf and i know yeah. it was all, it's all and then fine, the female dwarves are just, saying that
1: they're really that the men are really ugly it's just a lot of like it's just problem shaming we I mean, need like yeah. sam we
2: need like a <laughs> yeah. like yeah. a whistle
1: <laughs> like a siren yeah <laughs> so yes you're right look i mean i think that in the review that i wrote where i essentially was saying i liked it I pointed out a lot of things that are not <laughs> good about it. Best thing about um,
2: your review, many great things about your review. Best thing, I think, was, it was well, with all due respect to all the amazing women. But I love what you said about Chris Hemsworth. Like, we should be happy that we
1: have a movie star oh, like yeah. this. Yeah, I think he's a rare commodity a sort of rare element um, he has you know he's obviously like really handsome and hunky and, and can do action but there's something else there that we haven't quite seen teased out yet that I, I think I said in the review it reminds me of a young Brad Pitt where he was kind of this hunk who was sort of cast in certain roles and then slowly people figured out that he was actually kind of a character actor Yeah. Um, and I think that Hemsworth has gotten a few opportunities to do you know he was a kind of comic relief in, in vacation last mm-hmm. summer this summer he's going to be that same he's playing the um, the Annie Potts role in Ghostbusters, yeah. right? Um, as the, the kind of a secretary. So he's, he's. I'm glad he's getting these little opportunities, but I, you know, part of me is like, well, let's, you know, let's not blow out this flame. Like, let's foster it, yeah. and you know, because I'm just curious to see if he could be the the, in the heir apparent to a, a certain kind of fame. You know, a certain movie star in the way that Channing Tatum has taken the mantle from I don't know who Bruce Willis like I don't know Yeah, who they, I, I think the, Chris
0: Hemsworth and Channing Tatum are kind of crowding each other or uh, yeah. Channing Tatum is cr- crowding out Chris Hemsworth in some way but Chris Hemsworth got Marvel he's fine. Um, well, but I, F- I do think he's not getting the opportunities that uh, yeah. the way that like Brad Pitt got 12 Monkeys and we we're like, "Oh, that's what he can do." He's right.
2: almost so big, I know. you yeah. know? Yeah, and I yeah. think that, I, I bet you there was a thing in his contract where he didn't have to take a shirt off in this movie. They even made a yeah. joke where the, the female dwarf was like, I'd like for you to take your shirt yeah. off and yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. But, I, you know, he, but, but in the Brad Pitt comparison, he's more effortlessly charismatic and charming you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i feel like there's uh, brad pitt is is obviously a great actor but you guys feel like he's trying a little bit and and not hemsworth
1: yeah no i think so well i think you know i think brad pitt is he's a little weird like he's kind of a quirky guy Mm -hmm. and i think Mm -hmm. that hemsworth everything i've seen with him in interviews he's just this kind of like good time you know guy from australia (laughs) he's got what three kids now he's my he's my age and you know he's he's just i think he's sort of more like a a sort of steady kind of middle of the road kind of guy. But yeah. I don't think that that precludes him from being, yeah, he's, he's effortlessly sort of charming and appealing. Um, and I don't think that I'm full just bi- being biased about that because he's handsome, but, but he was one of um, the, few, he
0: was one of the pleasant surprises of the first movie where you're kind of like, Oh God, what are we in for? And like, yeah, he, and, he, he like, and Kristen Stewart had this really nice, like platonic yeah. rapport and it made you kind of want to watch another movie about and, the Huntsman. And
1: he's actually acting. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, and yes, the right. accent might be a little wobbly, and the well, lines could have—they should have spent
2: more on the accent advisor, because even yeah. Jessica Chastain was a little. Well, like, like just
0: yeah. I just don't get why they had to be Scottish. Why Scottish
1: well, accents are so hard? Understood. Were they Scottish or were they Yorkshire? I, were they North Irish? I, I mean, it was have no really idea. not.
0: I'm no expert. You,
1: yeah. Well, so can you guys
2: explain to me why Chris and Stewart isn't in this movie?
0: Well, there's the personal reason, which is yeah. that she uh, was uh, oh. having an affair with the director of the first of the movie, one. but yeah. but he's not on, involved in this either. It's, it's unclear to me how much that played a role in this. My guess is that the contract she signed uh, had the option for a sequel and made her really expensive. And they were like, actually, we don't need... we." Uh, Charlize Theron and Chris Hemsworth are what everyone liked from the first one. We can get rid of you. I have no idea how acrimonious it was, how happy she was to just go make Olivia S.A.S. movies instead. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I mean, I think that when that whole thing broke with her and Rupert Sanders, I think that the 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 language then was they're going to distance her from the second film. They're not going to, you know, she's not going to be in it. And Sanders, I think, was originally going to direct it and then wasn't. And I see, you know, so this whole thing. But I think that honestly, I think the the real story is closer to what you said, Katie. That there was it was probably just some boring contract thing, and she didn't want to do it, or you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that her story had sort of reached its. It's true conclusion or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, I would have loved to see her. I thought it was, I thought that was a fascinating thing to have her in a big sort of action movie like that. Not kind of you know as as this kind of sword wielding heroine. But, I think this movie know.
0: is cheaper than the first one too and doesn't yeah, have those a, huge it cost scenes. about
1: 65 million dollars less to make yeah. um, I, well according to Wikipedia um, well, and, and you know,
0: and like you know lord knows they paid Charlize Theron a bucket of money to uh-huh. come back for like four scenes in this movie yeah. but uh, it, it's worth it you know she's she was a blast in the first movie she's a blast in this one I think Emily Blunt is a little underserved because she has to be kind of under the thumb of Charlize Theron a little and bit more often and she's the frozen
1: cold passive not passive but you know she's yeah. she's uh, withdrawn but it's um, you know
0: it's worth the money they spent to like, get Charlize Really stand in that like gold eyeshadow and- totally melting yeah. mirror. Yeah.
2: So do we think there's a costumes nomination possibility here? Because they, they are pretty great costumes.
0: Yeah, no, they're, inc- well, yeah. And they're the
2: makeup, that gold flake. Is I know. that makeup or a costume?
1: I don't know. Yeah. I don't
0: even know. Or CGI, who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, her, Charlie Sanders costumes are spectacular. And like, you know, a, a costume nomination on the power of one character's costumes is you know, not impossible, so. Well, who I think
1: Blunt's amb- are good, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the one, in the very last scene when Charlie's and uh, Emily Blunt are in the same room, I feel like Emily Blunt's costume looks incredibly cheap. Cheap. And it's mm. like they ran out of money and like had to give it all to Charlize's costumes, and we're just like, oh, here, Emily, you can have this, uh, like shiny yeah. silver fabric. There's and also the it. problem
1: is that if Emily Blunt's costumes are nominated, they'd have to nominate the Frozen person. Again. It's true.
2: I know. <laughs> oh, is wait that- a minute, Sam. One more thing for the problematic whistle. Um, the goblins, super deeply problematic, very problematic.
0: I kind of like so they're they're basically like horned gorillas.
2: Wearing gold chains.
0: Uh, Oh god, I hadn't even thought about that. Well, goblins are famously, you know, hoarders of gold. In you know, right? Well, yeah. I
1: mean, because you could go either one way. It's either one stereotype or the way that you know people have criticized the goblins in Harry Potter, being like Jewish stereotypes, or all bankers and have big noses. You know. know. (laughs) it was a, it was on the par with yeah, that these denial, are denial, denial. A, yeah sam yeah. is rippling the yeah, yeah okay let's back out of that i i um, will accept
0: all pitches for non problematic yeah. goblin uh, presentation okay, in you. movies mm-hmm. uh, no that see i never heard of me on either racial stereotype but you guys are very correct that uh Either way you go, it's it's problematic. So someone needs to figure out how to do goblin. I
2: just figure I was like, I guess English people made this movie. They're just they're just not as attuned <laughs> as we Americans, right?
0: Yeah, they're not as they're not as terrified of offending people. Yeah, they're just like well, that'll be fun. My guess is not enough people will see this movie for anyone to be that offended by the goblins. So okay. we might not have to worry about Sounds it. Good. Um, but yeah, I if you if you like Charlie Theron chewing scenery.
1: Yeah, it, again, again, not, I have to wait.
0: You have to wait. She's in the beginning, and then yeah. she doesn't show up a while until the end. And I think wait. I've
1: issued this caveat before. I saw this for free, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not saying necessarily spend you know a hundred dollars to take your family to go see it this weekend. Yeah. Um I'm not saying you shouldn't. But Jungle Book um, is probably more. I'm just saying, time. like, if you maybe wanted to watch it some rainy Sunday when it comes on TV, that might yeah. be the most <laughs> optimal way to see it. Yeah, but, watch
0: it the way yeah. that I watched the Divergent yeah. movie, where it's like, oh, this is on, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. <coughs> Madam Dwarf, we have no quarrel with you.
0: We seek a mirror. I don't got no mirror. Oh,
2: no, that's clear.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, you are. Yes. I don't Enough. 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 What, what, tell us what you want. Well, personally, I'd like you to take your shirt off and prance around for me. <laughs> And now we'll close with a chance to rewrite recent history. It has been 10 years since the Best Picture win that shocked the world. And I don't think we've ever really discussed it on this podcast. Uh, So if you were in charge of the 2006 Oscars, which is the one where Crash beat Brokeback Mountain, guys, what would have won Best Picture? And uh, as a reminder, I'll go through the nominees Crash one uh, and it beat up Brookback Mountain, Capote, Good night and Good Luck, and Munich.
1: That's a good year. yeah,
0: it is a good year. We
1: were talking a couple you know a couple episodes ago about the the year with Black Swan and Social network and how mm-hmm. that was a great year. This was a good one too.
0: yeah, and just the five. Too. and I
1: think the one that won was the outlier there <laughs> yeah in terms of being the, the good man. movie split the vote yeah well that yeah and, exactly, uh, the, the one that solved racism uh, um, <laughs> the one that snuck on in and was about.
2: People in LA. Yeah. That's, yeah. Do we notice a theme here? Yeah. What wins best picture? Well, I mean,
0: it was what, what made that such a wild year is that *Brokeback Mountain* was just such the prohibitive favorite. Like, it had all these critics yeah. critics awards, and it was this historical movie. I mean, you look at it now, and like, if that were to happen, I think even you know we've come so far in gay rights even just since 2006. That if that were to happen now, would be an even bigger outrage. It was a pretty big outrage at the time. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I um I was I had just graduated from college when that movie came out. It, came, it was like I graduated in 05 and the movie mm-hmm. came out at the end of that year uh, and I so I was pretty young, and I went to go see it, and I just became so obsessed with *Broken Mountain Like I, you know, I I had the downloaded the soundtrack and just listened to it on repeat. My roommates at the time wanted to kill me because it was just this like <laughs> sad guitar music emanating from my room at all times. So I was really gutted when it didn't win, and yeah. I, was, I was mad. You know, it felt like that. You know, I think the gay marriage debate was really heating up. I I think that it was around the time that Massachusetts passed. It was the first. Yeah, state. well, and, well just, and
0: what's crazy is Proposition Eight was two years later. That's right. It, it yeah. feels like they happened yeah. a million years apart. And I was but. living
1: in Boston at the time. So it all felt very timely, and but now ten years later, now that we've you know solved every gay problem yeah. that there was to solve, totally. um, I, I don't know. I think that I might be a little bit more. I, I wouldn't give it to Crash, mm-hmm. but you know, I think there could be definitely an argument to be made for Capote, which is a movie that I keep coming back to in a way that I haven't really come back to Brokeback Mountain as much, um, just because it's such a rich, textured beautifully performed, subtly written movie that, you know, is small in scale. And I think that's why it probably never really stood a chance.
0: That's it. Nice. I haven't seen Capote since 2005. And oh, it's really I, great. I never you thought to revisit, revisit for anything but the performance. And that and Good Night and Good Luck were both these kind of like small character studies. I mean, Good mm-hmm. Night and Good Luck had a pretty good ensemble cast. And then you've got Munich, which is this very large, sprawling revenge story that I saw for the first time a couple years ago. and was really blown away by it. Like, it, and it's so Bush era 2005, kind of about like getting revenge and going after your enemies and like... Like, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us. And, you know, figuring out the meaning of your country, the last shot of the movie is on the Twin Towers. Yeah. Um, so it's got like a it, – it has such a timeliness to it that I think is really powerful even more in retrospect.
1: Yeah, and I think that Munich also admirably flirted with some some really conflicted politics. You know, Steven Spielberg had – you know, 13 years prior made Schindler's List and he is, you know, um, active in, you know, Holocaust remembrance and Jewish identity kind of things. And uh, so, and this movie about, you know, Mossad agents going on this kind of revenge spree calls into question a lot of Israeli politics and, um, but also doesn't, you know, so it's an interesting movie. And I think that 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 trickiness maybe didn't help it. And I think also there was the, there's the kind of infamous sex scene intercut with the the massacre scene at the end of Munich that I think really hobbled that movie. And like every review I re- read of that movie, I remember when it came out was like, Ugh, and then there's this like really misjudged sex scene at the end. Yeah,
0: pulled,
2: pulled the problematic whistle.
1: Yeah, well, there <laughs> he goes. exactly. Yeah,
0: uh, Mike, where, where? Well, yeah, where do you think you come down?
2: Uh, well, I, I think Brokeback still. I mean, I remember. I saw all these movies at the time I was working at Vanity Fair. I was observing this. You know, the crash thing was kind of shocking. It's funny, though, because all the things you want to say about how Hollywood might have problems with a gay story or something sort of disintegrate when you're like, but they gave Ang Lee, the director thing anyway. So it yeah. It had to be something else. I think it's just the usual narcissism of like, that looks like my life. I'm gonna vote for mm-hmm. it. But but that is to me the worst of the Oscars is when it gets provincial. And mm-hmm. and to me the movie that was the sensation that that really commented on our times in an incredibly important way in a big sweeping way on screen was Brokeback Mountain. Even yeah. if I don't necessarily want to go watch it tonight, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because Richard, I was thinking, Oh, maybe you like Capote now because Philip Seymour Hoffman died. But of course Heath ledger died too. Like we've yeah. lost.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. funny
2: in 10 years, we've lost both of those guys. Yeah. Um, two of the most brilliant actors I think of our, of their generation. Yeah, But uh, yeah, I would stick with, I, I, you know, good night and good luck. We haven't talked about much, um, to me, it's it's less – I like it less in retrospect because it's the beginning of, like, George Clooney's semi-irritating <laughs> finger-wagging at the press. Well,
1: he won the Supporting Actor Prize that year as kind of – for Syriana, uh, which yeah. – and he was nominated for Good Luck Good Luck for as all director. The, that same night. Yeah. And he yeah. kind of did that finger wagging thing about people well, say we're out of touch and well,
0: and he know. literally got up and, to accept his Oscar for Siriana and says, "Well, I guess I'm not winning director," like recognizing that he <laughs> kind of got the a best. Yeah. Which is, it, it, when you think about George Clooney's Oscar being for, for Best Supporting Actor, it makes no sense at all. It's, it's weird. so weird, right?
2: Yeah, I think it's just a little. I don't. His stuff is a little pat. You know that that film feels a little pat. Capote is much more kind of yeah intriguing and mysterious, but also maybe not as fully formed as a culture defining thing as Brokeback was. Brokeback yeah. just was like it was a, an absolute phenomenon, and it did break boundaries. I mean, mm-hmm. for Heath Ledger and and Jake Gyllenhaal to go there in that in that way, that kind of like almost violent but weirdly sexy even as a straight guy way was like, that was a crazy thing. That yeah, happened. It's it like probably it, made it, people uncomfortable. It made a lot of people uncomfortable. It's
0: a really deep connection to watch between two people. That's kind of uncomfortable to watch anyone do that yes, on the screen yeah. where it's like, Oh, I should, I be seeing this. It's yes. like, they really went to this place together, which is, you know, makes a really powerful film. And look, I mean that cast, like those two, Anne Hathaway, Michelle Williams, Kate Mara in a tiny role. I was going to say it a
1: lot of serious acting careers. Yeah. I mean, or redefine some act, some careers I mean, Hathaway and, and and uh, Michelle, Michelle Williams. Williams in particular but also Heath Ledger I feel like that was a huge breakthrough for him for mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal even maybe yeah I think that you know if, to put myself in a voter's head about Brokeback maybe it's one of the reasons I haven't watched it a ton since um, it came out is you know it's a pretty episodic sort of plotting movie it, it not, there's, there's sort of an inevitable tragedy that we're moving toward yeah it takes place um, over like
0: 20 years yeah and, and I
1: think that it doesn't have a sense of um, there's really no hope at the end, there's no, you know, no. there's no, there's no redemption really to be found. No,
0: it's devastating. Um, it's devastating,
1: which, you know, can can catch the, the fancy of Academy voters sometimes. But I think that you know for the cert, for the right kind of or the wrong kind of voter that movie could seem a lot like vegetables you know like oh, yes. I, gotta, I gotta watch this sad gay thing now you know <laughs> if, um, it,
0: if this same slate of five movies came up this year for the Oscar do you think it would go the same way or do you think Brokeback would
1: no I think off? people would think that Brokeback was problematic because it was straight <laughs> actors or whatever honestly, <laughs> oh right I honestly yeah, do I think that, that I don't or like think
0: a rural America thing like yeah. this is what you think people in Wyoming it, are absolutely. doing absolutely I
1: think that I, I mean I, I mean who's to say it, it would still be a beautifully made movie a beautifully acted movie but but I think that any little kind of tingles of like, oh, that's a little, I wish maybe they could have found like gays, a- actors, whatever like, that we had 10 years ago. Now what I think would be magnified. You're 100% yeah. right about but, that. Although know, I don't know that it was prevented got it from winning. For Girl, oh. so. yeah. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Yeah. That's true.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I, guess, I mean, I guess my vote has to go to Brookbeck in the end, like just for the historical importance of it and, you know.
1: Well, we're no matter how time. we vote, Crash still wins. So
0: I know. No, remember, we decided last week that we gave Richard Linklater an Oscar, so we've right. solved this. Yeah, and we're um, retconning. Yeah, well done, everybody. We've fixed history.
1: And finally, I would say that, uh, you know, we are a little bit
0: uh, out of touch in, in Hollywood every once in a while, I think. It's probably a good thing. Um, we're the ones who. Uh, talk about AIDS when it was just being whispered and we talked about civil rights when it wasn't really popular and we uh you know we we bring up subjects we, we were the ones this is the, this academy this group of people gave Hattie McDaniel an Oscar in 1939 when blacks were still sitting in the backs of theaters I'm proud to be a part of this academy <laughs> proud to be part of this community I'm proud to be out of touch and I thank you so much for this so that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please rate us and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate it, and it helps us find listeners in this off-season, which hopefully we proved by now is still pretty interesting, even if uh, the Oscar race is a few months away. You can find us all on VanityFair.com, and I'm, we're all on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H.
1: Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S.
0: And we're all at Little Gold Men on Twitter. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best truth bomb about real life in your 30s goes to Kate Erbland.
3: If I have a chance to go home and be with my cats, I think I'm going to do that.